One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as 249 Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Jason Williamson, Andrew Fern, welcome. Sleaford Mods, of course. Um, I want to yeah. start really about your backgrounds and the families that you were brought up in and whether <laughs> there was any cultural atmosphere where you could really envisage having a cultural output later in life. Um. <clears throat> Didn't really think about it. <clears throat> was never politically conscious. Was never um, was never conscious of poetry. Was never conscious of well, well, you know, not a lot. You know what I mean? Right up until the last minute, I suppose. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't know. You know, once you vote, once you learn how to vocalise things, <laughs> uh, once you, you know, you know, a lot of people don't connect themselves to uh, the matters in hand, uh, you know, life, society, the, the, the constraints, of, uh, the constraints of all that. But if you do, uh, and you come from a background that is very much embedded in work, um, and very much embedded in working class culture, then, then uh, you do marry the two together, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I completely understand that. I just... Come to Andrew, though, because the background that I was brought up with, my father was a market trader. My mother uh, was a nurse. And so yeah. they both would say to me, you know, you've got to get something where you where you earn money. Yeah, I think quite across the board, you know, lots of people. I, mean, I remember at school having friends whose parents educated them at home. You know, they had like a parent who was a a teacher or or just educated them at home you know and they definitely had an advantage and I, I think 
you know, like Jason was saying, not knowing about poetry. I mean, I knew about things like that, but it didn't really make any sense to me. You know, I didn't really know. I, I, th I didn't really grasp it. It wasn't until I left school that I started to educate myself that I really understood yeah. what, what English literature and the English lang language actually meant. You know, I, I think if you've only got, I mean, without you particularly gifted anyway, but, you know, most kids growing up in the 80s that didn't have academic parents my dad was my dad's quite dyslexic you know he's he's a you know he's a plant hire plant hire business that he's been successful at but he's basically used his hands and worked hard to yeah achieve money you know and you don't um you know you don't uh what am i trying to say it's it's you just don't understand what what's education you know you don't have that uh, connection with it until you make that connection yourself school never gave yeah. that connection with english literature we had terrible teachers for english at school oh god yeah yeah and same so what, for history i said the same about history it wasn't until i left school that i thought oh history is actually quite interesting <laughs> well they're, they're just teaching the same old shit don't they you know it's yeah. like it's not it's not really proper history it's just their account of a nice gentrified English history in it you know and they just seemed like they didn't enjoy teaching it either you know no. so what music were you brought up around Andrew what what did your parents play at home um well my mum was quite into music generally you know but just the obvious sort of commercial end of the Beatles Elvis a lot of rock and roll stuff you know um but then as, as I grow up, I used to see albums on TV, like Kato albums and compilations, even when I was really young, and I'd just stick them in my mum's trolley when we go to Asda. And she would she would kind of want the record as well, you know. Um, and that that was it, really. There wasn't really any, any particular um, family member that was really into music. Um, what about yeah. you, Jason? Um, just, um, <clears throat> just uh, like TV, really. Top of the Pops. When I was a kid, like nine, eight or nine, and yeah. the kind of records your dad played, mm. um, and just like looking at pop stars on Saturday morning kids programs as well. Uh, and you then, um, up, don't you? yeah, you just pick it up, and then around ten, uh, ten years of age. Probably got into you know um, punk, Sex Pistols, and stuff. Was introduced to that with, by my stepbrother's vast record collection of punk and new wave punk. By then, it was new wave. There was a second wave of punk with uh, the Exploited, GBH, all that business. You know what I mean? So yeah, I got, I got in, interested that way, but again, didn't really connect that with anything social, socio-political, do you know what I mean? Just too young, you know? And I think you don't really, really start looking at it until you start suffering, which is usually from around 21. <laughs> you know, when you get, when you thrust into, well, I, 16, 17, I, I went to work. So it was like a wake up call, but I, I, I consider that to be like, earning my common sense stripes, you know, being able to do practical work fast under a lot of pressure and working with a bunch of fucking savages, basically, you know. Um, 
yeah. So it, it you know it, it took a while. No, nobody gives a fuck about politics down there, do they? Down the lower ebbs of society, you know, not a lot of people do, which is why they are thrown around so much, so much by those at the top. You know, the nineties was people were just drunk, stone. Yeah, drunk, that was again. It was. You know, I used was, to know a bunch of people that lived at Nine Lady Stone Circle, which is a, it's, it's in Derbyshire, on a bus, you know, and like, there was one guy that used to wear a dress and just, they just taking mushrooms up there every day. They just lived up there for like four months, you know, and we'd go and visit. And, um, you know, that's kind of the sort of thing that you would... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I used to know Pit Shift. I used to go around to their house and sit in their room while they were jamming and they're just a bunch of... Crusty stoners, do you know what I mean? Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Different yeah, world. You had it, you had it, you had it good round there. I think I should have done that rather than hang around <laughs> pretentious clothes shops doing cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> um, your parents separated when you were very young, Jason. How did that yeah. make you feel? Oh, it's just like gutted. It's horrible. You don't want that. <clears throat> You know, splitting up, that's not right. And I think that's affected me throughout. I think my relationship with other people, with women, initially was kind of, um, I didn't like splitting up. Or I got clingy because I wanted, I didn't, I didn't want to feel like that again because it was like, it was like, bro it was like a break, a broken heart. Even though like your parents aren't perfect and uh, you don't, but you, you just don't want them to go away to, you know, mm. you've been brought up with these two adults and therefore, regardless of their limitations or whatever, um, you want you want them to stay together. Yeah. So it's quite violent, divorces, I think. It has to be handled well. And I think my parents probably didn't handle it very well because they were very young. I think you can separate and you can handle it very well, but you've got to... You've got to really, really include the kids, but in a, an intelligent way. And also, you can't be arguing in front of them, you know, and stuff like that. I think there are ways for children to understand that sometimes adults just don't get on, you know what I mean? The reason I ask um, that, though, is because my my parents split up and I found out yeah. later that my father, when my mother had a third child or got pregnant with a third child, yeah. which was me, my father already wanted to leave her and didn't have anything to do with me. And I feel yeah. that my, you know, I've eventually became <laughs> a presenter on MTV and now I'm a writer. And that yeah. my drive came from this perceived lack of love from my father. And I just wondered, because I've done a lot of research into sort of a lot of uh, very famous singers, mm. and a lot of them have a wound in the childhood, which seems to relate to them getting their drive and being successful. Oh, I, to I, totally, I totally think that it's connected to that, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. Mm -hmm. I totally think that my need for attention comes from that, without a doubt, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't, I, I wouldn't deny that, absolutely not. Um, but um, I guess there's worse things to fall into, isn't there? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's um, you deal with your traumas, don't you? We all do. Um, yeah. and some people don't they, they just linger with people and you know some people don't know how to deal with them and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but it's like um, I think uh, yes possibly the quest for um, you know the motivation as you, as you said Steve um, I agree you know it's, it's, I think that was powered by that definitely 
Andrew, how about you? I don't know what your family background is or, or where do you feel <laughs> that your drive may have come from? Well, I was going to say, you know, my, my, um, my parents didn't get divorced, but a lot of friends around me, most of my friends' parents got divorced. And particularly one family in my village who were close friends, um, you know, it, it kind of worked out really well for them. You know, when they when their mum uh, met someone else, their kids got on really well with them and it just made their family bigger. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> my family were very much, they were out every weekend just getting shit-faced, you know. And um, I was very much home alone quite a lot, you know, um, from like 11. Um, so I guess, yeah, maybe it comes from that. You know, I always felt like, because I've got a brother that's five years older than me. So once I was, you know, 10 or 11, he was he was out, you know, he was never at home. So, um yeah, you know, it's a, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's all relative, isn't it, to your own experience? You know, um, people mm. think my parents weren't rich, but they were. My dad was doing all right for himself, better than a lot of people in the village. Um, so yeah, you know, it's uh, definitely spent a lot, too much time on my own, probably from that age, you know, and I was already like, you know, wanting. To, I bought. I, I can remember buying a keyboard get, get for Christmas. You know, wanting this little keyboard. Um, and just recording things with crappy tape decks and, you know, just wanting to make music, really. Yeah. I mean, you're going to deride my taste probably here, Jason, but <laughs> when I was a teenager, which was, I was 13 in 72, so I'm a generation older, um, Bowie was a big hero um, mm -hmm. at that period, but it wasn't just his music. He provided a world where I wanted to sort of go into from my parents' world, and particularly as sort of a, a young gay teenager. For me, he represented some sort of sexual freedom apart from everything else in the, in, yeah. in the music. Um, and, and the 70s was a really sort of nasty era of, you know, anything that could, any homophobia, sexism, racism, misogyny, the mm. whole bloody mm. works. The mm. 70s yeah. was packed with it more than any other mm. decade, I think. But is there a musician that really sort of showed you a world through their music that you wanted to <clears throat> enter? Um, well, I don't know. I didn't, I don't know if I wanted to enter their world. I mean, I was heavily influenced by um, the Sex Pistols initially, but um, uh, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't kind of, I don't know if um, being in, wanting to be in their world was uh, the right thing. I don't know, I just, it, I found escapism with it. I found escapism with the jam, but again, Paul Weller, it looks to be a very, um, regular bloke like anyone you know what i mean so i don't know if there's any if, if there's much there to escape into he's a, he's a very kitchen sink type songwriter um uh you know very english very miserable uh but not you know um so yeah. it's I, there's nothing much to escape into there but i think it was more identifying with these people i, I identify with steve jones from the sex pistols and paul weller uh, because they reminded me so much of everyone in my environment, you know. Uh, and although the Pistols were a, a working class band thoroughly, I, I kind of identified more with Steve Jones and Paul Cook because they seemed, they looked, they just looked like every other person that I knew. 
Do you know what I mean? Um, and Paul Weller as well, to a certain degree. Uh, so I think it was identification, really. There wasn't any escapism, um, just probably escapism in the idea of mod or the idea of uh, fame, uh, you know, but I didn't really equate that with music too much. It was more film that I equated the idea of fame with. Okay, Andrew, what about you? Was it were there soundscapes that musicians made that sort of provided sort of yeah. a? <clears throat> I mean, I was going to say, you know, same before, you know, I didn't really mention, you know, because I'm gay as well, but I, I didn't really, I don't think that really affected me in a. Um, you know, my ambitions, if you like, you know, but um, I think uh, sort of like 14, 15, I was crazy about the Pet Shop Boys, like the first two albums and just completely production of the music. So it's probably whoever, you know, Trevor Horn or whoever produced the the stuff, Stephen Haig and people like that. Um, then them really, you know, because it was headphone music that I would escape into a world of uh, that they create which was a kind of a looking you know looking at it now it's not a really very it's a very sort of image-based world isn't it you know like um you know the album covers and and stuff that they the seven, yeah. you know the, yeah. the images it's very sort of um <clears throat> you know um even though i wasn't i didn't pick up on the fashion element of it it was just that escapist world you know you know the the whole things about escaping you know and also the fact that I knew they were gay and they didn't come across like other flamboyant pop stars did in the eighties, you know, even though people knew that they were gay, it didn't, they didn't look gay, you know, which I guess I kind of largely related to, you know, I was one of those mm. gay kids at school. I didn't, I wasn't on the radar. People didn't know I was gay. Whereas there was other kids at school that were, that couldn't hide it, you know, um, and I just watched this kind of like teen film yesterday called Love, si Love Simon, which de dealt with it really well because he's exactly like that. And he starts chatting with a guy online and then he in the, he, he's uh, in the library and he leaves the, the computer open and someone else finds it. So he starts blackmailing him and he feels like he's losing control of his, of his identity because um, he can't choose when when to come out, you know. Um, so I kind of related to that quite a lot because you, you, you did, it's not a big deal that you're gay, but even in the 80s, but it for some reason, it's something that you have to deal with at the same time, you know, and it kind of gets hyped up. So I think when I left school, I basically just went, you know, I was basically just pent up because I couldn't express myself at home. Sure. And just, just went mental and took loads of drugs and, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really see a future for myself, you know, I didn't really, yeah. um, you know, I can remember turning 16 and the, uh, the the age of consent had been lowered to 16 when I turned 16, but at the same time they banned uh, any sexual uh, imagery from television, from the BBC, so it was a double-edged thing going on there, which was very confusing at the time, do you know what I mean, and I just felt really you know, it made you feel excluded from gay culture, really, you know, like you didn't really feel part of it. And yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to that, you know, because you're a little bit older, aren't you, than me? I'm born in 1959, so I think I'm pretty okay. much a lot older. Well, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're if you sort of part of the, if you're over 50, I'm 51. So if you kind of like, 
dipped into the 70s more more and you had Bowie, you kind of had a different kind of world world or a different um, experience. But for me, it was a completely 80s experience, which was, uh, I don't know, do you know what I mean? It's quite debauched at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you either dive in and, and uh, you know, which wasn't really what I was like as a person. So it's not... You both mentioned yeah. you both mentioned drugs um, already, and yeah. <laughs> because because I, I I I had this massive phase as well where I went completely deranged, and it was basically over a sort of ten year period until I lost everything. Um, oh. And I I I just you know and at party drugs, so mine were like yeah. coke and e, and I'd yeah. do what I think you know in essence what you're saying, Andrews. I would go to clubs and go completely bananas but it was all about when I look back on it and I don't have a moral perspective to it all I have is that it was um an era where I was escaping myself and I I was fooled by drugs because I felt they were giving me something until years later where I realized that they weren't fulfilling me or giving me any creativity or giving me anything in my life essentially Absolutely. apart from going completely fucking bananas so yeah. how, how do you Andrew? first of all how do you view drugs in that perspective and what they gave you and what they took away from you yeah so my thing was acid do you know what i mean we we're all doing acid which i mean i think hallucinics are a little bit more rewarding but uh, but you know initially because you, you have some quite memorable experiences but it did get to a point where we were doing it every weekend and it wasn't really doing what it used to do, you know. Um, of course, after that, when ecstasy came in, you were doing that as well. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, again, it was, it was. I think the thing about escaping was um, you didn't, you know, as a creative, I didn't make any music. You know, when I lived in Newark, for three or four years as in Newark, uh, after school, I was just getting absolutely wankered all the time. You know I mean? But as soon as I moved to Nottingham, I bought a four track, borrowed a guitar. So I made, I started making music instantly, you know. And before that, when I was at home, even if I only had a keyboard to play, you know, I was always like playing it. I was just obsessed with playing, making music, you know. So it created a bit of a, um, you know, what I kind of became, which is very sort of, you know, just sort of double edged. I could be quite recluse for a while and stay in and just make music. And then I think, well, for my own health, I better go out for a bit. <laughs> How about you, Jason? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, cocaine and the same, really. <clears throat> cocaine and ecstasy, uh, speed at the end. Um, but yeah, I'd lost everything a few times, actually. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, fortunately, my mum would always took me back three times and would, um, you know, if I got into trouble with any dealers, uh, or just needed money for drugs, I'd get it off my mum. So um, uh, it was a bit of a weird one, really. Uh, you know, she got into debt for it, but, you know, when I t I've spoken to her recently about it, she said she did it because she she could, under she could understand why I, I just wanted to forget all the time because life wasn't very good, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Um, she could understand that, she said. So that's why she she would do these things. So, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think it's, um, 
I regret it. I regret taking so many drugs because I'm so active now. I've like, I literally, you know, a lot of things, nothing seems like it's a problem. And if there is a problem, then I'll deal with it. You know what I mean? Before I didn't. So, um, you know, I do regret it, you know, but at the same time, there is a a whimsical uh, part of my memory that has, um, you know, some nice thoughts about those times. Um, You can't beat cocaine. It's fucking brilliant. You know, you can't beat alcohol. It's absolutely brilliant. What an invention. But, um, you know, you just can't if you are any which way inclined to not handle it properly. Uh, you can't keep doing it. It will destroy you. So I think it's uh, more about know, escaping though, isn't it? Like if, it you're is, actually, yeah. if you want to escape and you're happy to escape, whatever you're doing, it's great, isn't it? Because it, oh, it's, gotcha. it's working. It's doing what yeah. you want do but then yes you know if you've got if you've got shit that you want to do you know you can't be stoned all the time you can't i I think you made a point that's really uh, fascinating because i feel that as a writer that although that era i didn't think was a creative era at the time i feed off that era because so many you know as you said i was you know same i was so wankered (laughs) you know so many mad (laughs) experiences in that period that I can feed off that period. Is that the same? Absolutely. There's two phrases. There's one which is um, there's a phrase that says, make new mistakes. Um, and then someone yeah. said to me, I said about, I think it was from my 30s, I said to a mate about, I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. And he said, lies for wasting. You know, like, and you can't have a perfect life, can you? Do you know what I mean? No, like, what are you no. going to do? You're not no. In, no, you can't. Your life's not, you're not in the military in some no. sense. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you're supposed to do these stupid things in life and it's the only way that you learn things, you know. It's the reason that academic people that go into a job aren't very good at it because they've got no life experience, you know. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as two forty nine. Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Jason, you said that it's powerful not to have money. How impotent is it to have some money? Um, Well, you know, it's good. Of course it is. Um, Is it powerful? No, I don't think it's powerful. I mean, you don't have to worry so much about buying stuff, but I don't know whether that's a form of power more uh, it's, it's more a um, a privilege isn't it uh, i suppose um yeah I like, I like having money more than not having it but um but you know i'm not rich i mean i could probably you know i could probably not work for 3 years but then i'd have to go back to work and i know work I've, i did work for 25 plus years or god longer so to be able to not work for three years and then have to go back means nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. 
I may as well go back to work next week. So, so um, you know, I don't consider myself to be, we're not rich. Of course we're not. We're not millionaires. Do you know what I mean? That's rich, isn't it? I would say yeah. that, or is, is having half a million quid rich? Um, I don't know. To some people it probably is, those that haven't got it. But the idea of rich is not to worry about it forever, isn't it? So... Um, I think the idea of rich yeah. is doing what you want to do, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, well, no, because rich means to me having money in the bank. That's rich. Right. I mean, kind of richness in like <clears throat> variety and outlook and perception. Uh, I would say that that was more a bourgeoisie notion, isn't it? So you just don't you, you don't think like that when you are at the lower ebbs of society. You know, the kind it's almost like a wellness sentiment isn't it you know what i mean you know nobody's got time for that shit if you if you haven't got if you haven't got a lifestyle to match it you know what i mean yeah i try to remember the thing that bob marley was asked that on a sort of thing recently i can't remember exactly what he said but you know he he basically responded by saying that he's not money's not what makes you rich you know but I imagine yeah. bob marley it's a different you know the world that he created for himself do you know what i mean money wasn't when no. it didn't make him rich, but you know, when when you're sort of a relatively lower lower middle class and living, you know, I'm renting at the moment. You know, what I mean, I've got to pay my rent. <laughs> yeah, I'm not living that kind of lifestyle, you know. Um, but you know, some people don't need money, and they don't care if they lose all their money, and they'll still be happy. So. I don't think I would be. When you create something, you're often, like, when I write, I'm often going through the themes of my life in, in what I'm writing. So I'm, I'm constantly sort of regurgitating these themes that have been important in my life and in some way moving on from those themes. Um, yeah. But what works in my writing are still those themes. So for you, Jason, how... Um, much of a change have you seen in yourself from your lyric writing into you know your sort of perceptions of the world and the perceptions of who you are <clears throat> um since when since it started yeah um well there's been a change yeah um um <clears throat> it's been a gradual change um but it has been there. It's shifted completely. Um, the political things are still there, but now they're more uh, better articulated, perhaps, uh, to a certain degree, or more in keeping with my current position. You know, I'm no longer working in a, uh, an office or a, a warehouse or whatever, you know. I'm a successful musician. So, um, yeah, they're, um, they've changed and matured and become... I think a bit more intelligent, perhaps. Do you know what I mean? Uh, mm. Totally. Mm. And and how is it for you? Because Andrew, because um, you know, I've got a uh, I've got a friend who's a, she's a DJ in Norway, and she she maintains uh, that also it, the just uh, creating the music um, has a massive therapeutic value on her life. So I just wonder whether there's a similarity because I your experience I, I I'm detached from in that sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
I wouldn't, if I wasn't successful with Sleeping Minds, I'd still be making music. You know, I was making music before and putting it on Bandcamp for not many, no one to listen to, like like a lot of uh, people out there that um, haven't been discovered or, or whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something that I, that's a therapy, you know, that I do on a daily yeah. basis, you know, always thinking away at something. So, so if the inspiration for the lyrics is the state of Britain and British politics, how does that feed into the inspiration for the music? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, well, music's a different thing, isn't it? I think music's... Um you know it, it's a relationship that you have with uh how you understand music you know mm. or in some ways a vessel for stuff that's out there in the ether to be uh created but you've got to listen in to to make it you know you've got to tune in as they say you know to uh and we've slowly created the sleaford sound as you know since i've started it so you know it's just a it's a subtle thing, you know, of paying attention a little bit, but not too much, and relaxing into it, and yeah. uh, and just and just enjoy making music because that's what that's what I always did when I was unemployed. I had no money. That was something that I always felt couldn't be taken away from me. You know, that's what got me through days of having no money because I already had some gear, you know, a laptop to make music with. So. I'd be like, right, well, I'm not going to be bored. I don't need television. I can just make music at home, you know. <clears throat> so, Jason, how do you see the creative process between you when you come together and make music? And how do you see the division of roles? I mean, obviously, there is a division of roles, but is it is it completely distinct? Or can you sort of cross over in, into each other's area? Um, sometimes. Certainly, sort of we can, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It's not, I can't, I can't engineer and, you know, I can't, um, you know, uh, physically um, record any production ideas. So mine's just communication, really, if, if, if the roles do, you know, Andrew, Andrew can blurt out a melody and I, I get the gist straight away. And I'll, you know, if I've got an idea for, you know, sort of, production then i'll just you know i tell him vocally and that, that that's as far as that goes you know um most of the time ideally 
it, uh, you know, it's it's the music's done. We don't really need to do much to it. Andrew might do something. There might be an odd suggestion from me, but not, uh, you know, it's not too in-depth, you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's the occasional time that, you know, Jason will be writing a second or third verse for a track and I'll be stuck on something that, again, you will communicate through, you know, and then it might not be the thing that I say, but the thing that I say might inspire him to... Yes, yeah. ...something yeah. else. So there was a bit of conversation involved there sometimes, but... Yeah. Again, you know, that's the great thing about it. They come in different forms, the tracks, you know, uh -huh. sometimes they're just completely there which feels like you have been a vessel to sort of create it. And other times you have to sort of squeeze it out a bit more, you know? Yeah. So what about when you work with other people like Billy No Mates or on, on, the, uh, on the UK Grimm album, Florence Shaw? Um, how, how does that work when they come in? What, what's that, that collaborative process like? Uh, well, it's the same, isn't it, really? We kind of make the track. Yeah. And then, you know, leave a gap, leave a verse for them to fill. Yeah, and they, yeah, you know, and send them that, and then they know exactly where they need to 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 put to put their vocal. Yeah, it's basically, um, you know, we tell them what there might be an idea where uh, for for Billy No Mates collaboration, you know, I had the melody for the chorus, and then asked her if she wouldn't mind doing that, which she did, and then she added her own verse. You know, um, Florence, she just came in, did her own verse. And then I asked her if she'd accompany me on the chorus a bit. That was it, you know what I mean? We pretty much just tell them to do what they want. You know, there's a couple of pointers, but um, generally it's always interesting to see if they, you know, what they come up with by just, just doing whatever. I've lived in Germany for, I think it's now 28 years. So originally British, and I've been here, you know, nearly half my life now. And for me, my perception of being British has changed in that time because Britain has completely changed in my perception. Maybe it hasn't, but in my perception, it's really changed over that time. So what is it for both of you to, what does it mean being British? Oh, God. Fucking weight around your ankle, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I suppose every country is the same for its citizens. There are rights and you feel like it's Grand Dog Day, you know, wherever you are, I guess. Uh, and, you know, I, I would imagine corruption is present uh, everywhere, you know, in, in the same kind of way. It, it probably comes out in different ways, you know what I mean? But... Um, well, you say that corruption is present, but isn't it, there's, you know, when you're away from Britain, you really see Britain as a class-based society, which is, oh, well, a, okay. in essence, from a feudal oh, that's society. That's interesting, yeah. You know, you see it completely, you start to see it completely differently, or I did. That's, oh, okay. I can only that's say my, so, yeah. and, and a class-based society, in a sense, I don't know how you can ever change it. So... I just wondered because you know no. you, you write so much about British politics and it's yeah. clear the unhappiness with with how society runs in Britain. But how yeah. can it be changed? Um, uh, well, I don't think it can, can it? Um, unless there's some miraculous overall. Uh, but I don't think there will be. Um, 
the, the public are stunted. They are, um, they've been conditioned into not overthrowing things. Uh, it's been like that for centuries, you know. There have been times where it's, it's, it's probably gone the other way, but that's usually been spearheaded by, by somebody at the forefront, you know, Cromwell, etc. you know what I mean? But, um, you know, even that went pear-shaped. So I, I, I don't think um, the idea of revolution is going to work or the overhaul of a system, because you know, what has got to replace it is another system run by human beings, you know. We are a chaotic breed, so chaos will ensure wherever we are. And... Um, you know, I'd like to think that the class system will eventually die out another 100 years, 50 years, 100 years, God knows. But um, in its place will still be human governance. And, uh, you know, we need to get to a place where we're not using um, distraction methods such as capitalism or fascism. Uh, and we work, try to work on our, our um, Achilles heels which is weakness, uh, uh, hatred, you know, bitterness, whatever, you know. I don't think these things will change overnight. So the class system's here for, for a long time yet, I would imagine. Uh, but there's also something about, um, uh, you know, th there's a lot of Stockholm syndrome in, in each of us, you know. Uh, we kind of bizarrely love our captors or we bizarrely, like myself, like moaning about them um, whilst conforming to the rules of society yeah i mean you know why don't we just all move to germany but you know which is a great <laughs> idea we just don't seem to do it no that would be <laughs> a good idea weird reason. yeah i mean what's fascinating yeah. is uh, you know i sort of mentioned to a few people that i was interviewing you uh, today and germans and um they obviously know your music and they but also they um really understand um, the politics in your music and see it as relating to Germany as well, which really well, surprised yeah. me. Yeah, but it, well, it it doesn't really. You know, there's a far right, there's a massive far right presence, and it's growing in your country in Germany, isn't it? So, um, so it doesn't surprise me in some respects. During the early eighties, I would spend you know half my life on things like the Miners' March, you know, obviously the gay yeah. marches, uh, the march against the poll tax. Things like that, and there seemed to be a, a wealth of of young people when I was young, young people who were interested in politics in some way. And then by the late eighties, it seemed that music um, had moved away uh, from being really politicized, and that young people had moved away from it. And I remember going back—I don't know when it was, twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, whenever that Brexit. The Brexit marches were so I flew back to to England to go on those marches because I was invested, obviously in in that. Although I lived in another country, so why do you think that, um, or, or or really, what do you think you can achieve through your music and lyrics, politically long term, when it does seem that things ebb and move and people lose interest at some point. Uh, we're not looking to achieve anything with it, just telling people, you know, or not even telling people, just saying. Um, it's not a mandate type thing. Uh, I don't believe that music can shift a whole audience's uh, mindset, but um, 
you know, they, I'm just talking, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just reporting on it lyrically. You know what I mean? That's it. Maybe it can, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I was just thinking about, like, you know, you had little things. I mean, even like the dance music era, you know, it did, you know, site parties, illegal site parties and all that sort of thing. That was kind of quite massive, you know, and like, mm. They quashed that by taking the figurette figureheads and and giving them shows on 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 BBC radio, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, so, true. Yeah. You, you know, so um, you've got to try, haven't you? I think. Do you know what I mean? And like, we, you know, it's surprising that we've managed to get as far as we have initially. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean I think anything is is worth having a go, isn't it? You know. Um, yeah. You never know. And it's down to in, the individual. Everything's down to the individual mm. to, to mm. be a to be a bit more aware, a bit more I don't want to say woke, because it's a clack, you know. Well, it's right. It's, I mean, you know, it's it's been used as a derogatory term or or rather just another deflection. Uh, but but I think woke is the idea, isn't it? It's like it is. Isn't it? It's yeah, got, it's got to be. It's got to be that. Because yeah. if it's not, then what? You, you're just being ignorant, and you're not helping. Things need to change because if they don't, people are. You know the things that are affecting people that need to change. Uh, yeah. If they're not changed, then these people are still going to be hurt. You know, so you need to you need to change. And boom. I mean, one thing that can be changed is your own um, personal sphere, your own sort of <laughs> sort of bubble. And yeah. um, when it comes to things like ticket prices, when you look at, you know, the, the big American stars, uh, when they go on tour, their ticket prices are just so phenomenally ridiculous that <laughs> no yeah. regular person, and I don't mean even uh, someone who's really on the, on the breadline, but no regular person at all can afford that anymore. Um, yeah. And yeah. so... How much are you aware of that, and and how much do you sort of um, try and make sure that people that can't afford to go to a concert can, in some way, come and see you perform live? Um, <clears throat> We've always tried don't... to keep the price down, haven't we? Yeah, I think I think the price has gone up about five quid, probably ten quid since we started. Uh, and I'm I'm including buying fees in with that as well. I think um, you know the handlers fees or whatever. Um, but yes, our manager and bookers uh, always keep the price at a realistic level. It helps that we haven't got a massive bat line. You know, we're not trailing around a band or music or instruments. We do have a lighting show, um, but um, only for selected gigs. So it's it's easy. It's not easy, but you know, we we can afford to keep the tickets at a, a, a reasonable price. You know, uh, but I understand that some bands can't. But um, yes, I agree. A thousand pounds to to go and see someone's just taking the piss. I think you know, given given the current the way things are and how money is devalued or valued, you know, one hundred and twenty quid to go and see someone at an arena, 
I think it's reasonable. It's a fucking arena, you know, and, you know, it's not 1998 anymore, you know what I mean? Um, but um, but anything past, anything past 200, 250, it's just a bit, I don't know, you know. Mm. It, it just depends, doesn't it? Because you've got, and I'm not trying to justify it for them, but as you, well, as you, you know, when you see see what these people have to fork out for, I guess lighting shows, catering, support bands. Uh, if they've got a massive fucking show, you know, if they want to put on this spectacle of entertainment, I suppose it needs paying for. But it's a tough one. I think a thousand pounds. What this show is, though. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a thousand pound just takes a piss for anything, though. Really. Yeah. It just does. You know. Yeah. And Andrew, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, just the same, really. You know, if it, if it's just four blokes on the stage playing guitars, then yeah, it's it like, doesn't really cost that much money. No, and you know, kind of like meeting them and paying extra is, yeah, it's just. So what do you put in your what do you put in your stage rider that is different to other bands? Don't really have um, anything much, do we? Don't have anything, no. Is it not true uh, that you that you say that it's only vegan food for everyone? And well, no, I'm the vegan, so yeah. Uh, but I mean, even so, it's like you know, it's a bit of fruit. I mean, yeah. Sometimes if we're touring uh, a lot, you know, you don't get chance to eat. So if, as long as like there's some, you know, vegan stuff, you can put in some bread. <laughs> Like yeah. Hummus or something, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's. So I want to ask finally about because people like Bob Dylan, Sting, Bruce Springsteen have sold their music rights for millions. Um, how much do you want for Jolly Fucker? <laughs> <laughs> Sizable amount off our back catalogue, not just yet, anyway. You know what I mean? I don't think it would go, but yeah, I, I would, I would, you know, don't know, we'd have to bang heads, but if we got to a point in life where it didn't matter and there was a sizable chunk, why fucking yeah. not? Yeah, I'm sure but at some yeah. point that might, you know, I mean, I don't know, it's it's weird because I think after last year, we've kind of obviously got bigger as a band, but yeah. You don't really. It's hard to really quantify where where you're at, you know, or yes, how big yeah. you are. Uh, and not, I guess those sort of things reflect that, you know. Yeah. True. Very true. Who knows? Not, people aren't going to be doing uh, cover bands. Aren't going to be doing jolly fucker at weddings and things like that, are they? So no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, maybe they do it at funerals. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jason Williamson, Andrew Fern, thank you very much. Steve thank you. Brilliant, thanks. Thank nice to talk to you, Steve. Bye-bye. Okay, see bye. you. Bye. I know fitness is important, but I don't have time to keep up with all the fads and celebrity workouts that come and go. I need something backed by real science that will get real results and fits into my schedule. Caliber has been a lifesaver. 
It's a science-based fitness coaching program covering strength, nutrition, and healthy habits, completely customized to my needs and abilities. All I did was fill out their online assessment, and Caliber did the rest. The best part is, I'm not in it alone. Caliber paired me with an expert personal trainer who checks on my progress and keeps me motivated and on track. And I'm not the only one getting results. Caliber is top-rated on Trustpilot with 4.9 out of 5 stars. On average, members achieve a 20% or better improvement in their body composition by week 12 of the program. Start a science-based fitness program you'll actually stick with. Get $100 off at CaliberStrong.com podcast. That's CaliberStrong.com podcast. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas Bien Podcast. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish. But you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls. Or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast. So everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chisme Ajeno too. A section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos a hacer tus nuevas amigas. amigas. We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 